What happens when a preacher and a science teacher discuss today's world from a biblical perspective? You're about to find out. This is Beaker and Pulpit Podcast. Well, we're back. Welcome back to Beaker and Pulpit. And uh, last week we talked about uh, metamorphosis and design. And uh, then, Carrie, you sent me a interesting uh, little video uh, this past week that uh, talked about talked about um, you know just the the geologic uh, conundrum, right? Mm-hmm. So, what we see in geology, and what does that mean in terms of <clears throat> kind of natural processes? versus the element of design is it possible for the complexity of life that we see today to have suddenly uh, burst into existence through design Um, last week we mentioned the uh, cambrian explosion which is kind of that same thought that there was this sudden burst of um, uh, a great variety of life forms it's kind of hard to explain archaeologically Mm -hmm. and geologically and so you know the video you sent me kind of jumped right into that um and so yeah let's talk through that you know the one of the points made um was kind of what we've all been taught if you were in public education which was the formation of the grand canyon right oh, so yeah. the colorado river over the course <laughs> of uh, millions of years carved out the grand canyon yeah that that is the the standard ideology of right geologists so with your background in biology Mm -hmm. right so obviously the geology the rocks Mm -hmm. uh the strata um they all hold biological clues oh yes right yes so so if if you were going to educate me or let's say we're going to have a conversation right and so i'm under the impression based on how i was instructed that sure enough the colorado river took millions and millions and millions of years and it carved out the grand canyon one of the interesting things in the video you sent me said time is not a magic wand correct right yeah so but if if i hold if i held to that premise or to those tenets um that that was how the grand canyon was formed uh speak to me whether it's from a geological perspective or biological perspective um what are your thoughts on that <laughs> Well, first of all, my thoughts are it didn't take millions of years because we haven't been here that long. Okay. So that kind of... But what of, evidence is there for that? That we haven't been? That, or... I mean, just specifically with the Grand Canyon, if it if it didn't take the river millions of years to carve the Grand Canyon, how did it happen? Well, that's a very good question. And we could go right back to the flood. Right, which we talked about last week. Time of Noah. Okay. And with the um, the fountains of, de- of the deep opening up and the rains falling from heaven, all that water on the land. So, so you have to think about this. Okay, so it rained 40 days and 40 nights, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you what, Noah and his family, they... They had to be super troopers. Because as you go back and read that, they were in the ark for seven days before it rained. Right. Shut the door, ready for it to go. Yeah. So, so um, 
uh, Hollywood, whenever they do this, they always have it wrong because they always have the, the door still wide open and it's starting to rain and starting to flood. And, and then everyone wants to run there and then God like closes the, the door on everybody. Right. And that's not how it happened. Yeah. So you have to understand that requires some serious faith. I mean, so here's Moses creating this giant boat. Noah. Uh, yeah, my my bad, Noah. <laughs> Created this giant boat out of gopher wood and pitch and tar. Right. Okay. And so, you, first of all, think about this. They haven't been on this documented for, what, maybe a, a thousand years or two, a couple thousand years. And they already knew. And he had the understanding on how to prepare the wood and then to seal it right. with pitch and tar. Yeah, well, he was instructed to, right? Cause yeah. Nobody needed a boat before then. Well, they didn't need a boat, but so this was brand new. I mean, think about when, when you have a task and you're going to do it for the very first time. Yeah. And then how successful is it usually the first time? Right. Eh. But here, this was highly successful. I mean, them using pitch and tar for to sealing things. Um, I mean, this is the first time it's really introduced. Right. So so he and his family are in the ark. God closes the door, and they're in there for seven days before the rain. I took faith. Right. You think you're going to be sitting there. And then get this. After 40 days and 40 nights, right, it stopped raining. There's still water because it hadn't receded. Yeah. And you're going to go, okay, when are you going to get to the point that I ask? Well, here's the <laughs> receding part, and this is what we're going to get to. And so their boat actually hit ground, mm-hmm. but they still stayed in there. They were in there for a total of 11 months. Crazy, right? It is. 11 months inside the ark, and I'm thinking there's no way they could have been hauling alligators or crocodiles in there because <laughs> they would have done eating up just every critter there was, you know, but who, who knows? Yeah. But, but I understand did they everything was two by twos, but for certain critters, they had seven. Yeah. And they're the ones that got sacrificed after all this was over with as a sweet savor unto the Lord. Wow. And it's awesome. Now, here's the thing that biologically gets me. I don't know. I mean, Noah did not send his sons out and say, okay, start collecting critters and bringing them in. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. It, even though it took them that long to build an ark, it didn't. They, they started showing up. Right. The Spirit of God is drawing those critters there. Mm-hmm. And they were, we, we already knew what domesticated livestock is. Right. But now you're getting critters that are not domesticated. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to be inside this ark for 11 months. Wow. I mean, think about And how much food do you think that would be? Well, it's crazy, right? It is. I mean, I guess they could have been baby animals when they first arrived, right? So they fit a little better, maybe? I don't well, know. I, I'll tell you what, though. Noah had to be a serious vegetarian by the end of that time. Right. <laughs> they weren't eating any meat till after they, they sacrificed. Yeah. yeah. So so my point is, and we'll, we'll get to this here, is that the ground gets saturated, and it's super saturated. Right. Now, 
the flood waters are receding, even though it did take about what six months or so for it to recede. Uh-huh. But just think about all of that moisture had all that water had to go somewhere. Right. So now it's coming down. Now it's filling, and if it's saturated soil, that moves so much quicker and easier. Mm-hmm. And just think about all that that's moving now mm-hmm. that carved out the Grand Canyon. You have all of that water, all of the ground around there is saturated, and it just has, happens to be what we'll call softer soils. Mm-hmm. You know, the rocks aren't as hard. We'll call them soft. And then that water is just washing away very quickly mm-hmm. and to create this Grand Canyon. Yeah, it's interesting. I saw an, uh, a short documentary um, about Mount St. Helens. Okay. And how after Mount St. Helens erupted, mm-hmm. then the f- the fallout with the ash that fell back down, and, and it kind of blew out the side of mm-hmm. the mountain, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a, a great deal of sediment and rock that's blown out of the side. Mm-hmm. The ash also combines with that, um, and it created this mud flow, Yes, right? And that mud flow created what what scientists, believers, and and non-believers have since called the mini Grand Canyon. Hmm. And it carved that out in a matter of days. Yes. Right? And so you can see under the right circumstances how a great deal of geological material can be displaced and moved. And in fact, you know, when was Mount St. Helens? Early 80s? 1980, I believe. Yeah. Um, So in 1980, in just a few days, a mini Grand Canyon was formed. Oh, I mean, total, the, the, the... The geologic setup there was just totally transformed. Right. And um, I don't know if you saw the picture. I mean, the before pictures, nice, heavily forested, wooded yeah. area. And afterwards, not a tree standing. They're all laying yeah, flat. Yeah, like nuclear fallout. Yeah. Right? yeah. And it just hit. And, yeah. And um, that is the power. And, and, and we forget this. Water is extremely powerful. I said it last week. Water's undefeated. And when it gets moving, it it's hard to stop. Mm-hmm. And when it hits something, it hits it hard, and it moves fast, and it's very destructive. Yeah. And so now think about that. And we know these things. And it's just putting these pieces together of knowledge and saying, okay, Grand Canyon, water hits that. Boom, it's moving, right. and it's moving fast. And, and and the soil's already saturated, super saturated. Mm-hmm. Guess what? It's going to move fast and quick, and, and, and it's gone. And that mass of material is going to therefore displace, right, Cause, mm-hmm. because force is mass times acceleration, right? So you've mm-hmm. got the force of that, that material moving because it is massive. It's gaining mass as oh, it moves. Yes. It's accelerating, mm-hmm. right? So there's a great deal of force behind that that's going to further displace more material. And until it runs out of energy, or actually the energy gets moved into another um, uh, position, right? if you will. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't, either, we don't create or destroy energy. It just transforms from one form to another. Right. So once it's, it's wore out energy on that flow, yep. then it just disperses into heat or right. in, into other things. But, yeah. That, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. So that's kind of the geological conversation. What about the archaeological and therefore biological information that we can glean from what we see, even in the Grand Canyon, right? 
does that does that cause uh, problems for the natural process argument? The natural process, no, when because at the different stratas, they they they're always finding organisms at different stratas, and they're going. They shouldn't be there. Right. So not only did water cut out the Grand Canyon, it is also, and you just talked about it, is also um, depositing loads of soil. Mm -hmm. So organisms that they don't think should be there are there. And So and, based, based on the dating of the sedimentary rock... Mm-hmm. as compared to dating the fossilized life forms that they find in those different strata, mm-hmm. right? So you're saying this layer of rock is so-and-so many millions of years old, but this fossil we recover from this layer of strata is much older, or even you know, this fossil we recover at this layer is much older than the fossil we recovered mm-hmm. below it, right? So that doesn't make sense. Well... Look at the seashells and sea creatures that we find at the top of mountains. Right. How'd they get there? How'd they get there? They don't belong there. Uh-huh. I mean, one thing explains it, though, is one flood, mm-hmm. you know, that flood. But not only that, but it's in the wrong time period. Yeah. So when they think they have it right... It goes back to, it doesn't fit the time period. That particular critter shouldn't have shown up in that layer of strata at that time. It should have been either deeper or shallower, but not then. Right. And and so this really, these are the things that really pull um, geologists' hair out, Mm. trying to figure this out. But you also got to remember, time is is man man and when you look at at life you just look at the whole universe as a whole time is totally irrelevant except for right now in our life Mm -hmm. now time is important when we die time's totally irrelevant again yeah so we experience time linearly right so a linear experience of time it's important to us when we're physically on earth. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. Right. But so, it becomes irrelevant when we're not physically alive on this earth. Right. right? So time, we want to, and, I, and, it, and it's within human nature trying to put everything in its right place, have it organized, have it, okay, this time period here, this time period there, and this other time period here, and so forth. Yeah. And this is when it should be and what what our expectations are. Right. And um, just like I was mentioning before we started, I was watching um, a documentary about um, the Exodus. Mm-hmm. And they... A lot of um, archaeologists and all think it should have happened in the middle um, Egyptian age. Mm-hmm. I think it's, they call it the middle one. And there is no documentation 
of an exodus there at all. Right. And there's no documentation of, of uh, shepherds being there and, and all of these in that time period. So now they're going, uh, so of course the atheist is going to say, no, you see, that's proof that the Bible is not. It's just a fairy tale. Fairy tale. It's right. not accurate. But the interesting thing is the time period before that, the early Egyptian period there, mm -hmm. that they can start lining everything up, and now they have documentation. Mm. Now they can find documentations of, here is a town with lots of people in it one day, and the next day it's empty. Really? And they're going, what happened? Yeah. They left everything behind left in a hurry yeah yeah i mean tables and chairs and stuff like that well of course the hebrew people didn't need tables and chairs going out on this this travel because wherever they go they can make their own so they're finding this through archaeological digs or their histories of the egyptians both oh wow. and how they read the hieroglyphics now is also telling them now they've also found a place where they know it's in goshen they know that the archaeological dig says that they were shepherds there. They have all the, the fossils, all the geological stuff there, but it doesn't meet the time period. Yeah, They think it has to, you know, well, if it would have been the Hebrew people, it would have been the middle period. Mm -hmm. But this is from an earlier time before that, so it, it fits the early Egyptian period there that it was uh, talking about. Yeah, You see? And then... Here again, they're here one day, the next day they're gone. Yeah. Where are these people going? What happened to them? Yeah. Well, you and I both know it's called the Exodus. Right. Okay. And it also ties into a lot of the um, uh, the plagues that happened. And so they'll say, well, there's nothing documented that there's all these firstborn right. were killed. But there is, not during the times of Ramsey, but before, right. there was a king, and he was the last of this, uh, during this time oh, period. Dynasty. Yeah. yeah. He was the last one, and it's documented in there wow. that they, they, they lost their firstborns. And so where did you see this documentary? Oh, man. It's on was Re it Revelation. Online? Yes, through Revelation Media, I believe it was. Okay. I believe I'd have to go back and look because yeah, I've been be, looking be at some good, different ones lately, and it's I can't yeah, that'd remember. Be a good which reference source. for us to provide to the listeners. It's something that they might be able to take a look at too. Yes, and it sounds very interesting. And 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 so they they did all of this. Yeah. And they also talked about Jericho, the walls of Jericho. Oh wow! In and, the days of Joshua. Yes. So this is just after Moses. Yes. So years after the Exodus, you forty, know, 40 years. years. Yeah. Right, of wandering in the wilderness, and then so, Joshua in the promised land, and Jericho's part of that story. So the interesting thing is, um, you know, we're thinking, you know, when, when, you, when we read the story there of Jericho, that the walls are going straight up, they're made out of mud and clay, mm -hmm. but they were so wide that they can have what? Two chariots yeah, abreast right, to go yeah. around the top of the wall on the ramparts. And, yeah, yeah. Well, come to find out, through the years, I think it was back in the was it the fifties? 
there was a female archaeologist. I think she was from um, England. Mm-hmm. And she found a bunch of, it was like, bold, I, I won't call them boulders, but big stones, round stones. Mm-hmm. And they were the actually at the base of Jericho. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, she was finding stuff. And here again, this goes back to understanding the time period again. She says, no, there was nothing destroyed like, you know, walls falling down. Mm-hmm. But as they dug deeper, they found that behind that, that wall going up, there was a secondary wall that was at an angle, hmm. sloped up. And at the top of it, that's where they could race the, the two chariots around. Mm-hmm. Okay. But how in the world did was it Rahab have a window to let in these a wall people that down? Huge, right? But they found there was a portion through their study of, of the geology there and and excavating, yeah. excavating everything that I think it was on the north side. They had rooms, apartments built into the wall oh. with windows. And they discovered this through archaeological they, dig. Yes. So they're finding all this stuff. And yeah. they're finding how it would have collapsed and come down based upon where all the evidence is at today. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. It, it, you know, I mean, it's like, wow. And so so the, the confusion with the dates, are they looking at what the dates should be based on biblical history and saying what we know of Egyptian history or where Jericho would have been located, um, that the two timelines don't line up? Is that what the confusion is? There, there's a, yes. Um, Solomon, King Solomon, made a mention, I can't remember the verse, but he talked about that the, that the Hebrew children left 450 years early, mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, if you follow that back 450 years, it, it skips past the middle Egyptian period, mm. and it doesn't quite get to the late Egyptian period. Mm-hmm. And so now they're going, now how do we squeeze this uh, to get it to line up? Yeah. You know? And um, there were some other events that, that took place, and, and unfortunately I, I, it escapes me at this sure. time, of how they were able to – justify how oh i remember because at the end of each dynasty yep. or uh, of each of those epic periods yep. there's a period of confusion right? right uh of chaos and everything yeah so one dynasty has died out so so there's the fighting about who's going to be the next so that dynasty. stretch of time they believe they had wrong oh uh, okay and so if they would cut that chaos time and they have evidence to show why it should have been cut down yeah then that moves the time periods to be where it should be okay and and that's what that's what we're going to find is when the bible is a history book right it gives us history it gives us places it gives us times yeah dates locations all of this. Who were kings at the time, right? I mean, there's a lot that can be dated just through those mentions. But because it's thousands of years old, I don't know, 5,000, 6,000 years old, okay, now they're trying to, you know, 
use man's wisdom Mm -hmm. of what they think these epics or these periods should be, mm-hmm. and in trying to, and it's like try to match them with the Bible, they're going to go, nope, see, it doesn't match, so the Bible's wrong. Yeah. Well, let's say. Maybe something else is wrong. Exactly. <laughs> the Christian worldview is the Bible's right. You, as a scientist, you're wrong. Your, your, your process of figuring out those dates are wrong. Yeah. And guess what? When you, when you, as you continue to study, as you continue to discover things, now we're finding that their timelines are off and it starts to line up with the scriptures. Yeah. That's why we can say the Bible has never been proven false. Sure. They and, can, and in many ways, there's a lot of corroboration for what's in the Bible. Exactly. So tell me, as you watch that documentary, um, kind of the experience you had in terms of um, not just, you know, your level of interest in in the history of it, mm-hmm. but, you know, sometimes I find myself um, kind of engrossed in something like that. And, and there's an experience I'm having that's related to my faith too, mm-hmm. right? Like there's an, a strengthening or an emboldening of my faith. So did you have that sense too? It, I mean, you, you're certainly excited about um, this documentary, you know, that, yes. that there was a lot of great information in it. But tell me about that experience for you personally as you were well, watching that. They start out saying they're talking to all of these leaders in the field mm-hmm. and they're going, nope, we, we, we're studying this right now. We're, we're digging here and we have absolutely no evidence that it that the Hebrew people were here. Right. So that first part, you're like, oh, my God goodness yeah, disappointment yeah you're disappointed you're going and, and then in the back of my mind it's going now wait the bible's never been proven wrong so i know they're gonna do the negative first mm-hmm. and then bring in all the evidence sure and to correct everything and then it's going to line up and, and it does but at first if you're, and this is why you have to be rooted and grounded in the scriptures. Yeah. This is why you have to be rooted and grounded in, in, in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because people are going to come with all sorts of negativity mm-hmm. and they're going to bring information and even what they'll deem as facts. Yeah. And, and, and even that whole archaeological world deems as facts. So they have that, what they think is hardcore evidence. Yeah. And they're going to bring it to you and that's going to make you feel bad. You know, you're going, wow. But I want to encourage people that are listening. The Bible has never, ever been proven wrong. Yeah. It is always accurate. It has always come out on top. Man and all of their wisdom, man and all of their search, all of their work, all man has done is confirm that the scriptures are accurate. Yeah. And that's what you have to take solace in. Mm-hmm. God is right. God's not going to allow anything in the Bible to be down wrong. Mm-hmm. He has it the way he wants it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If he wanted to give more information, he would have. Mm-hmm. If he, if, you know, and that's what we have to understand. And that God allowed it to be this way. He signed off on it to be this way. Yeah. And guess what? It works. And so while I'm watching, I'm going, my goodness oh my goodness no what, what what's going on and then i'm thinking okay now how are they going to figure this out what's going to happen because the bible has to be right and then sure enough piece by piece 
you know, the 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 person who's doing the the narrating and doing the traveling and the and the research and the, uh, all this, all people he's talking to. Yeah. And he says, "Well, I came across this bit of information." So it led me to talk to this person. Right. So I talked to this person, and this person gave me this bit of inf- of information. You're going, oh, wow, okay, yeah. And then it just starts building up the Bible being accurate. Right. Well, I think that's, that's good encouragement to leave our listeners with, and I think it goes back to something we said early on when we first started recording together, and, and that's the encouragement to dig, right? Yeah. Not archaeologically, although certainly you could do that, <laughs> but... Right, press into your faith, press into the word. Yes. Right, and see where God has proved himself over and over again. Most definitely. All right. Well, thank you, Carrie. You bet.